0: Well, hello, folks. Good afternoon. Wonderful to be with you today. Uh, You're seeing me in, in my alternative setting. Like a lot of Glaswegian men, I've basically got two settings. One is a kind of semi skimmed milky white, and the other, salmon pink. And this is my alternative setting this morning, this afternoon, having been out in the garden. Uh, for the last few days. I hope you're enjoying the weather. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Long may it continue. This is normally when someone says, oh, enjoy the summer. This is going to be it. But we're not, we're not going to agree with that. We're saying this is going to be a brilliant uh, summer for us all. Uh, We need it. It's it's, it's been a long time coming, that's for sure. Uh, Today, I want to speak to you about uh, the subject of transformation, because as Ian uh, correctly said, this is a turning point chapter. Uh, in the story of the people of God uh, that comes uh, towards the beginning of, of 1 Samuel. And uh, to some extent, this is a turning point time, I think, in our own culture. Uh, of the many things that have changed over the last year, perhaps the most significant in the long term will turn out to have been our own openness to change at this moment. Uh, a time magazine article from december last year said it will take years for researchers to fully understand the effect of coronavirus had on the u.s population and it's unlikely there will be one single lifestyle shift that characterizes the pandemic right now the dominant trend seems to be change itself the covid19 pandemic appears to have spurred a collective reckoning with our values lifestyles goals a national existential crisis of sorts the hallmarks of that kind of moment are actually a series of questions and it may be that actually over recent months you've been asking yourself these kinds of questions what change do you long to see in the world and where will this change really come from How will it begin? What change do you seek in yourself? And what are the things about yourself that you hope one day will be different? How will you become the person that you long to be? What matters to you most of all? What above and beyond all else are you living for? What does all of this that we call life really mean? And even soberly enough, if I die tomorrow, what if anything has my life been about? And where, if anywhere, will I go? The world is full right now of people who are passionate for change on a societal level. But it feels to me that the world seems amazingly inarticulate on how individuals themselves can be changed. After many years of uh, fruitless political campaigning, uh, the comedian and actor, uh, not a Christian, I should hasten to add, Russell Brand, uh, said this amazing statement, we need a spiritual revolution not a political one look at what a spiritual revolution might mean in your life and you'll see how a political revolution would be inevitable if a significant number of people were were altered and from within the church many i think have found within themselves in this season a deep longing growing for revival, a desire for God to move as he has done in history, that many would be swept up into his purposes, transforming their lives and our institutions. What change are you seeking today? What is the longing of your heart what is the desire that you feel deep within even though you may dare not dare to express it today's story from our season 1 Samuel has much to teach us about how transformation begins it's about a period in Israel's history that was pretty bleak as Ian was telling us And how God took hold of a young man, probably no more than a boy, and began to change it. And my prayer for today is that although we're separated by 3,000 years and 3,000 miles from this story, that we'll see our own lives and our own times reflected in them. Immediately before the chapter um, that we've read, the religious leaders of the day, that's the family of Eli, a character that we'll meet in this, uh, this chapter, as he instead have been exposed as corrupt and self-serving. And in the midst of this disastrous system, God does a new thing. and calls a little boy called Samuel to be an agent of change. And the change that happens in him becomes a change that is replicated throughout the nation. So let's read it together. If you have your Bible, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see was lying down in his own place the lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was and then the Lord called to Samuel and he said here I am and ran to Eli and said here I am for you called me but he said I did not call you lie down again so he went and lay down and the Lord called again Samuel and he arose and went to Eli and he said here I am for you called me. Uh, if, if you're a parent and you've ever been woken up in the night by your child which is pretty much every parent uh, you'll have some maybe some sympathy with Eli. I did not call you my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel a third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. And therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. And then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. No wonder. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also. If you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground And all Samuel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord began to speak at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Okay, I just want to say five basic things about this incredible story concerning God's transformational call. And the first is this, that God's transformation of a community begins with the transformation of an individual or individuals. Why is that? So often we want institutions to be reformed or whole communities to reform and to be sure that does happen. And it's amazing how God puts people in community and we work it out together as we do in our, in our life groups. But when he moves in, in reviving power, so often in history, there are individuals who catch something and catalyze something in the spirit. I think it's because the fundamental problem that we have as people, is not actually out there in institutional difficulties, but actually in here, in our heart. Jesus said in in Matthew 15, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are the things that defile a person. True transformation has to happen within our hearts, if it's going to happen out there. For those of us who are following Jesus and longing for his reviving power to blow through our communities and our nations, the Australian church leader Mark Sayer says this, we can sit and watch the Twitter feed, critiquing the methods, models and ministries of others from the comfort of our couches and we can speculate on how it could be done better. We can devise all kinds of theories, read all the right books, engage in online debate, blog our opinions and yet the whole time be disconnected from actually having a skin in the game. Even when our heart is for God's kingdom. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves critiquing from the sidelines of God's activity within history. There is a world of difference between pundits and prophets. Understanding this, I think, brings the challenge closer to home. It actually allows us to do something remarkable, and that's take responsibility for following in the footsteps of Christ. Christ who saw the mess of the world and didn't remain aloof from it, but entered into our world at great, the greatest possible personal cost in order to redeem it he identified with it with us he took on our suffering and the church we are at our best are we not when we follow in the lead of our savior God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Where is your heart on this today? That's a critical question. E.M. Bounds said this, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more in novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men and women of prayer, mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but he anoints men and women of prayer. The community transformation begins with the transformation of our own hearts. The second thing I want to say about this story is that transformational work comes through those who know their weakness and their need. As I said before, the text doesn't make specific the age of Samuel, but many of the commentators would place him around about the age of 12 i wonder i wonder if we would allow ourselves to be trans to catch the heart of god through a 12 year old boy that's an interesting that's an interesting question isn't it would we let that happen would we have the humility to recognize god moving in that way Yet we normally think of of, of history being shaped by the the influential, by the mighty, by kings and queens and by billionaires and, and famous people. These are the ones that fill our media, but this view of history is not supported by the Bible. In a few weeks' time, we're going to meet David, an obscure shepherd boy on the foothills of Bethlehem. The youngest in his family he's not even going to be invited to the feast that is thrown when Samuel who is at that, by that time become a man comes to the village and yet God is going to use him think in the new testament of Peter a fisherman from a, the rural backwaters of the Roman empire You know, 2,000 years ago, the center of the world was Rome. If you wanted to get stuff done, it was to Rome you had to go. And yet God came to just a nowhere place. You know, like Paisley. (laughs) Just a joke. If you're from Paisley, it's a great place. Uh, but (laughs) But... he came, to no, he came to Nowheresville, and he picked a nobody. And he was the one that God said, you are the rock on which I'm going to build my church. Think of Jesus Christ himself, born into poverty and obscurity. Caesars were in their pomp on the throne, and he came as a baby baby to an unmarried teenager. it's far from the center of world power as it's possible to imagine. And yet here we are today, 2,000 years later, more than 2 billion people in this world saying that Jesus is Lord. 1 Corinthians says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is slow, low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Do you feel foolish today? Do you feel weak? Do you feel low and despised. You qualify. God's choosing you. It's an amazing thing. Jesus Himself and. In Matthew chapter 18 says this. Well, the disciples come to him and they say, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, who are the big shots? Who are the movers and shakers? The ones that we'll be talking about hundreds of years from now, the ones who will be, you know, a big deal in heaven. Jesus called a little child to him. He like, you know, dug a kid out of kids' work, brought him upon the stage said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you feel weak, of lowly standing, if you consider yourself a nobody, maybe God is calling you today. But if you are here and you're rich and you're smart and you're successful, you're popular and you're attractive, hard to see under the masks, but I'm sure there's some attractive people out there, but yet you find within yourself an emptiness, a lack for which none of these things seems to really satisfy then perhaps humbling yourself and coming to Jesus will bring you something that you could never dream possible. The third thing is this God's transformational work begins with a deeply personal, intimate encounter. Samuel the word Samuel means God hears and God calls Samuel by name three times and the fourth time I think it is the time he gets it and it's interesting that the voice of God to Samuel sounds like the voice of a loving father Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, pray like this, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for daddy. It's a word of extraordinary intimacy when we consider who it is we're addressing. The sovereign God of heaven and earth who threw the stars into space. And Jesus says, when you pray. To this God, you call him Daddy. Is that how you feel? Is that how you feel when you when you come to pray? Is that your experience of that intimacy, that 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 intimate knowledge of God? I feel like in my own life. I've experienced just a tiny measure and sometimes a fleeting measure of this. But the wonder, the joy, the glory of it, to find yourself suddenly in the presence, in the intimate presence of a loving father, it's an extraordinary thing and it makes me hunger for more. But this, this is how transformation begins. When we recognize that God has come near to us and that he knows us, that he understands our sufferings, transformation, true transformation will not happen simply through Doctrinal faithfulness. Wonderful and significant though doctrinal faithfulness is, that alone will not do it. We must encounter the Spirit of the Living God. We must be shaken to our core. We must feel His embrace. We must hear Him say, My beloved son, we must drop to our knees in our kitchens and in our bedrooms and in our spare rooms as the word seems to come alive to us and we suddenly sense that Jesus is here. He's dealing with me. Have you experienced anything like that? Do you ever read some of the old stories of the saints and how they encounter God? And does it not make your heart burn? And you think, I want that. Above all else, I want to know Him. I want to know Him. This this is what He came to give us access to the Father. This is how transformation begins, with that deep, personal, intimate moment with him. Transformation happens, fourthly, with a wholehearted response to God's call. To some extent, this, the whole narrative of 1 Samuel turns on one Hebrew word, And the Hebrew word is hineni. And hineni is actually two words put together. Hine and ani. Hine means here and ani means I am. When you put them together, the Bible translators almost, I think always in in the Old Testament, translate them as here I am. Here I am. But it's not the kind of here I am that you would say if, you know, Your teacher was reading out the register. Ford. I wouldn't say Hineni if I was Hebrew. That's not what, I would use a completely different Hebrew word. Hineni is really saying, I am completely available. Here I am. Here I am. It's properly understood really as the response that Adam should have given in the Garden of Eden when God came walking and said, Adam, where are you? Hineni, here I am, completely available to you. Hineni is what Abraham says to God when God calls him to sacrifice Isaac. When Moses meets God at the burning bush, He says, Hineni. When Isaiah sees a vision of God in his temple, he says, Hineni. Hineni indicates that we are surrendered and ready to obey. In John's first, in John's gospel, in in the second chapter, I think. He writes of the very first sign that displayed the glory of Jesus as the Son of God. And that was the ever-popular miracle of changing water into wine. Always a crowd pleaser. But this extraordinary event, which in John's gospel inaugurates, Jesus' ministry happens when Jesus' mother gathers all those serving at the wedding together and gives them gives them one instruction. And it's a really simple one. And this is it. Do whatever he tells you to. That's it. Do whatever he tells you to. If we want to see the glory of God manifest in our lives, in our church, in our communities, in our nation, it's just one simple instruction. Do whatever he tells you to. That's it. Here I am. But what's interesting, point five, is this, that Hineni is always challenged. It's always, you can see it, and then you've got to do it. And that's where it gets a little bit hard. And, and Samuel has that moment in this story, because he's given this dreadful, First assignment, which is that he has to deliver this, this terrible prophetic word to his mentor, Eli, that actually he, Eli and his house are going to be swept aside because of the um, abuses that they've brought to the worship of Israel. The test so often of biblical heroes is often initially something very, very close to home. So it's, it's, it's Abraham sacrificing Isaac. It's, it's Moses having to go back to the people who raised him. It's Isaiah having to preach to his own people A message of judgment that they will not hear. It often begins very, very close to home, and I've asked myself, "Why is that?" (laughs) Well, I think if it means if it it, 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 is, perhaps because if we can, if we can obey God in these moments then we know that forevermore we will not be serving anything other than him. Samuel, Samuel knew from this moment that actually he, wasn't, he was no longer serving Eli. He had been serving Eli up until this moment in his life. But from this moment forward, he was going to be serving God and not Eli. Eli. Jesus said if anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life would lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul or what shall a man give in return for his soul this is what it means for us dying to self Picking up our cross, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, becoming more like him, taking on increasingly a personal allegiance to Christ in increasing areas of our life. It's the unseating of other claims on on our heart and enthroning Jesus as the king in our lives before comfort before career before money before family surrendering all to the one who surrendered all for us I don't want to mislead you this afternoon um I feel as compromised as I dare say anyone at times but I'm also convinced This is the only way. (laughs) Isaiah, in Isaiah 58, uh, there's an extraordinary passage where um, God is speaking through Isaiah and he's saying, you know, things have gone a bit awry awry and, and, and... you know, uh, the people uh, people aren't following me and they're pretending to follow me, but they're not really. And, And he says this, is this not the fast I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him? And not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. And your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call. And the Lord will answer. You shall cry. And he will say. Hineni. When we say kineni to God, he says kineni to us. Here I am. I'm here for you. So how do we respond to this? You know, the ultimate example of a surrendered life is, of course, Christ himself. The night before his execution on the cross, he prayed, if possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Obedience is not the absence of fear, (laughs) but it takes place in the midst of it. Mark Sayers writes of revival history, That it is the story of men and women who come to the ends of themselves and must discover God. Must discover God. Let's stand and I'll pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the intimacy of your call. I thank you that you speak to us tenderly in the voice of a father. And you know us by name. You number the hairs in our head. You know us better than we know ourselves. And you love us with a perfect love. I thank you, Jesus, that you You went to the cross for the world, but you went to the cross for us individually because you know us and you love us individually. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move upon us as a community, as a people. You would move in our life groups. You would move in our families. You would move in our own individual hearts, you would bring us to a place of humility and of desperate need for you. That we would find within ourselves that hineni cry, that here I am, and that we would hear you echoing from heaven. Hineni. Here I am. We love you, Jesus. Amen.